you're listening to Mortgage Lending Mastery. Get the knowledge you need to advance your mortgage practice quickly and efficiently from Jen Duplessis, America's Mortgage Mastery Mentor with over 37 years of experience and over $1 billion in lifetime fundings. Jen has been mentoring loan officers and realtors for over 15 years and speaking on stages across the globe. So settle in and get ready as Jen and her guests share their experience, passion, and strategies to help you crack the top producer code to reach new heights in your business. And now, here's your host, Jen Duplessis, Mortgage Mastery Mentor and Head Chicken Charge of Kinetic Spark Consulting. Hey everyone, and welcome back to this episode. I am so delighted to have Jason Hartman with us today. Uh, we had the wonderful opportunity of meeting on the Marketers Cruise, which by the way, I didn't ask you in the green room, are you going on the Marketers Cruise again? Hopefully I'll see you there, Jason. Oh, not planning to. I don't know when the next one is, but uh, I oh, wish okay. they would just upgrade the cruise line. I just got back from an Alaska cruise. and. Oh, uh... uh, yeah. Well, you know, I talked to him about that. And in, in, uh, just for those who are listening to this. Captain it's... Lou needs to do these on Ritz-Carlton ships or something. Oh, know? yeah, I know. Yeah. I know. But, you know, the reason he does them on Carnival, which I'm not a, really a fan of either, but the reason that he does them on Carnival is because they are so accommodating to such yeah. a large group. I know. Yeah. And so we just kind of have to sacrifice that, you know, to be able to go, but, um, you know, but it's still fun. It's still fun. But, and you interviewed me last time we were sitting out on a deck, you know, I remember, the, yeah, it was really fun. Um, but I'm just delighted to have you here today. And, uh, you know, we're going to talk about a lot of different things. We're going to talk about mortgages, where we think the market's going. We're going to talk about, uh, you know, real estate as well. Uh, you know, this has been something that I've really been harping on with a lot of people lately is just, the importance of, uh, you know, if you're going to be in the mortgage business, you're going to be in the real estate business is you've got to invest in your product. <laughs> you really need to invest yeah. in your product. So tell us a little bit about you and your background so that they can get some information on you. Yeah, sure. So I started in real estate my first year of college when I was actually 19 years old. And I got my license just because I wanted to learn how to be a better investor and learn the basics of the business uh, first. But I did really well with brokerage. Uh, I ended up buying my first rental property about six months into my career when I was 20. I bought it from a client of mine uh, who was buying properties from me and uh, uh, went from there. I did very well in the traditional uh, real estate world. I was number 59 in the world for Remax at age 24. Uh, and uh, uh, then I bought a brokerage and that was the hardest thing I ever did, <laughs> but yeah. I did sell it to Coldwell Banker in 2005. And, um, and so that was a, a nice run. And uh, I got into the business uh, about a year before the Coldwell Banker deal uh, completed. Uh, basically of helping investors buy properties nationwide, because as they were acquiring my company in Southern California, I thought, you know, what am I going to do next? What's my next play? I'm going to have a local non-compete, obviously, after Coldwell Banker buys it. Uh, but, um, uh, you know, and I really just got back to the investing only side. And so since 2004, um, my companies, and I've been various companies over the years, uh, have helped investors acquire properties nationwide. We help investors build nationwide portfolios of good common sense 
and I'll say somewhat boring, but they produce an excellent yield, yeah. rental properties, long-term buy and hold rental properties. I know, Jen, that's your philosophy too. Uh, so we agree there. Uh, and, um, and that's what we do. And then a few years ago, I acquired a real estate software company called Real Estate Tools that helps investors evaluate and manage their properties as well. And uh, so we're, we have a, we're just 100% centered around the investor and empowering them to uh, you know, do great things with their portfolio, to have control over their portfolio. Um, this is not a fund, it's not a syndication. Right. They're direct ownership of properties, so they have direct control over them. Yeah. So, um, and I think it's beautiful. And I, and I love the simplicity of it, to be honest with you. I love the simplicity. When you say that you help investors, uh, what exactly do you do? I, he I heard the back end of this once they've acquired and all that, but do you help them on the front end? Do you help them with, yeah. you know, what kind of properties should I be looking for? Am I, am I looking for a three, two and what price range? And do I want a little fix up a little bit or, yeah. you know, what do you help them with is specifically on the front side of this? Yeah, that's a great question. So we basically do three things, uh, three major things. We provide people with education and consulting or counseling. We have investment counselors that help them determine how to do their portfolio. One of the first things we do is what's called a portfolio makeover. And we uh, help assess all of the assets they have, you know, do they have stocks, bonds, mutual funds, uh, cash right. in the bank, uh, money in an IRA account, uh, a business, um, you know, do they have alternative investments like notes and trustees or, you know, what are they doing, right? Cryptocurrency, whatever. And we help them put that, uh, those assets to their highest and best use. And, um, and then we help them pick the markets and the properties and then the sort of the second major component is we provide a referral network of property sellers that they mm -hmm. can actually buy the properties through. Yeah. And then we provide ongoing support and software uh, and community so they can manage that portfolio and grow it successfully. I love that. I love that. Um, so, and, you know, so I think that's really good because, uh, you know, for the novice investor, it's a great way to start. And for someone who is doing a lot of properties, it's a community, it's a tribe for which they can go to. And I think that that's one of the highest barriers to entry is I don't know what I'm doing education. And I, I don't have time to find the deals. I don't know how to find the deals. I always miss the deals. Right. Um, and then once it happens, they're like, I don't like being a landlord anymore. Yep. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> exactly. And so having those beautiful tools. So I, I love that we can, you know, that you're reducing the barrier to entry for investors. And then when they have it, it's just a, it makes it smooth and, and, you know, silky and profitable. Okay. So that's what you do on the investment side. So we know that. And so, you know, for those that are listening, I want to make sure you understand that, that this is a great avenue. You know, if you're thinking about investing, as we've talked about a lot on this podcast is to really be purchasing the product that you are serving people for and growing that wealth. Um, so that's, that's wonderful. I think that's great. And I know that you are looking for, you know, um, you know, lenders across the country who are specializing in investors, please don't call Jason. If you're not a specialist in this, right. he's not interested in working with people that don't know what they're doing. Um, we but, are looking, by the way, I know a lot of your audience is, is this target. And I know you're going to refer us to some great people too, Jen. Yeah, uh, but, absolutely. But nationwide lenders that yeah. specialize in working with investors yeah. are that's, that's our uh, market. Yeah. So if you're only licensed in one state, don't do, don't worry no. about it. But uh, yeah. So, you know, the good 
thing about working with me as a coach for you is that all of my clients will be able to be referred to you specifically. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so I know that you also had a mortgage company for a while. So let's talk about your history with owning a mortgage company. Yeah. Yeah, I had a, a few mortgage businesses over the years, actually, when I was in the traditional real estate business. Mm -hmm. And uh, when I sold the company to Coldwell Banker, I got out of mortgage escrow and all of that stuff and brokerage uh, on the traditional side of brokerage. And um, uh, so, you know, my experience is all prior to the Great Recession in yeah. terms of the mortgage yeah. business. Yeah. So I know that it has changed dramatically with Dodd-Frank and, uh, and you know, every, everything's very different nowadays. It's much, uh, much more red tape than when we were doing yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, 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 no question about it. You know, and, and I think that that's, you know, super powerful when you're dealing with investors that to have that kind of experience. And I think that, uh, you know, this is why this was my niche when I was in lending, why as a lender, now I have my own lending company that only serves non-owner occupied, right? That only serves investors uh, because, you know, I have the knowledge in the mortgage and the real estate space. And I think that that's really good. I think I, ju I just lean more to the mortgage piece and you lean more to the real estate piece. And I yeah. think that's wonderful. Yeah. Um, okay. So I, I know that, you know, one of the things that you do, and you have a podcast too, you know, oh, yeah, yeah. obviously yeah, I've got over 6,000 episodes out there. So I've been podcasting for uh, 17 years now. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's it's great. And, uh, you know, so I, I encourage people to listen to your podcast. So tell us what the name of the podcast is. So we have the exact name to go look for. It. Yeah, podcast. Uh, just look up Jason Hartman anywhere and you can see all of my podcasts. But the Creating Wealth show is my most popular show. And then, of course, I have a, a YouTube channel as well and a lot of good content in both of those good, places. Good. And we have all those links that we'll we'll have for everybody. That sounds what, great. Okay, so let's switch into the market. Um, this is the hot topic right now, you know, yeah. is what is happening with inflation, appreciation, bubbles, <laughs> crashes, <laughs> uh, interest rates. So let's let's get your take on it. And, you know, and I want to caution everybody here, too, is that, you know, we've had a lot of people on talking about the market and their perspective. And one of the things that I've said and I do say all the time, especially with my coaching clients, is you have to consume this information. You have to watch the right and the left and the center. You have to read. You have to listen to. And then you have to absorb that information and develop your own opinion on yeah. this. So, so we're, um, it's sort of, that's the, uh, disclaimer right here yeah. for all of us is this is, uh, you know, Jason's opinion, my opinion, we want you to come up with your own opinion to serve your clients. So, so that said, um, we talked a little bit in the green room about the Hartman comparison index. Tell us a little bit about that and what that, how you're using that tool today. Yeah. Thanks, Jen. So, um, I, uh, I, I was getting so bugged uh, over the years with all of these uh, talking heads and prognosticators in the media and so forth, talking about the housing market or the real estate market, whatever. And, um, you know, I just noticed so so much faulty thinking. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, the, the main index, which is maybe the most widely used one, the Case-Shiller index, is just so mm -hmm. flawed in so many ways. Um, that I'll, I'll kind of go into, but specifically the HCI or the Hartman Comparison Index um, does what the Consumer Price Index does in a sense in, in, in helping people understand the value of real estate. You need to compare it not to just one thing. You need to compare it to many things because 
when we compare, we basically get data. And uh, what, what I mean uh, by getting data is that in the price of anything, it contains a whole bunch of data because uh, billions, literally billions of actors in the economy create the pricing for different things, different commodities, different products, different services, because it's a mostly free and mostly competitive marketplace, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and so there's a lot of data in the price of anything. Mm -hmm. So why would we say uh, housing or real estate is just compared to one thing, the US dollar, when yeah. the US dollar itself is a moving target? Mm -hmm. I mean, we all know that since the creation of the Federal Reserve just over 100 years ago, the dollar has lost about 97% of its value. So why would we think that comparing the price of a house in 1970 or 1980 or 1980 to the price of a house in 2020 or 2022 is a valid idea based in dollars? We right. should compare it to a whole host of things to determine the value. So we'll go into that in a moment, but maybe I'll just start with a couple of things before we get there uh, to kind of tee up the conversation, Jen. Yeah. Um, so this uh, meme, I think, just says it all. Okay, and for those listening on audio only, we're showing uh, two doors with stocks and cryptocurrency and the Grim Reaper having visited them already. <laughs> right, and there's blood all over the floor. <laughs> but, but the Grim Reaper is knocking on the door of real estate. Yeah, yeah. And <laughs> right? will that, will, how will that happen? Yeah, so yeah. A lot of people, like you said, think there might be a crash coming. And I'll just, spoiler alert, say that I think a lot of those people expecting some big crash are going to be sorely disappointed. I agree. And I have lots of data to support that. Okay. Right. Uh, you know, if you think some big housing bubble is com coming, I, I think you're just going to miss the opportunity. Um, yeah. Maybe we are at a little bit of a turning point, mm -hmm. um, but, you know, good luck timing the market. And here's why. Here's one of the many reasons. Say, for example, you have $100,000 in the bank today. And uh, you're going to keep your powder dry, as they say, right, Jen? Mm -hmm. And you're going to wait until the correction and then you're going to go all in and invest and, and and you know the problem is none of us ever know when we've hit the bottom and none of Until us ever really know when we're at the peak right, right. Yeah. <laughs> right. and, and okay. usually people at that time are too scared because they think it's going to get worse yeah. but if we assume the real rate of inflation is 15%, and I would argue that that's actually a little conservative. I mean, the official rate is 9.1%. Um, the real rate, I think, is about 17%, but let's call it 15. The consumer right. because, price index and, is And let's explain why that is. Let's make sure everybody understands that too. You know, that yeah. the rate- So the government has- yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah the government has a huge it, motivation. I'll let you do it. <laughs> Okay, sure. Go ahead. Yeah, the government has a huge motivation to uh, publish the official inflation numbers as lower than they really are, because, you know, the, the government has about 20% of the economy in terms of what it has to pay to its own employees. The government is so huge and government salaries are indexed to the CPI, the consumer price index, the most widely used measure of inflation. And then also government benefits are indexed to that as well. Uh, and so, so not only does the government have to spend more if they tell us the inflation rate is higher, but they also uh, get people more upset so they manipulate the consumer price index down in three major ways, waiting, 
substitution and hedonic indexing. So waiting, there's a basket of goods in the index and they just basically say, look, you know, if the price of one thing goes up, we're not gonna give it as much weight in the basket as we give another thing that hasn't gone up so much. So that's waiting. Substitution, price of steak goes up, they assume everybody will switch to chicken, but maybe you don't like chicken because chicken's a dirty bird, right? And you'd prefer steak, but they, they do substitution. Hedonic indexing basically says, look, with technology, products keep getting better and better. And uh, we're going to impute that you paid less for the product because it got better. So yeah. for example, you know, this phone in my hand, it's an iPhone, it costs $1,500. Mm -hmm. My first cell phone cost $3,200. Right. It weighed 14 pounds and all <laughs> it did was make phone calls, no texting, right. no nothing, no right? Yeah. So this product is substantially better. But Jen, the problem with hedonic indexing, even though it does have its own logic, is that it basically says we as people aren't entitled to progress. The consumer price index gets the progress, not us. Yeah. Right? And the consumer price index is average. You know, it's a, a year over year average. And so it yeah. always will, con, you know, currently considers low inflation in it. And so once it yeah. gets averaged out, that low inflation gets averaged out, we're going to see higher inflation numbers in the CPI. Yeah, you're absolutely right. So back to the powder dry discussion, because a lot of people think they're waiting for the correction and they're going to keep their powder dry. Yeah. If you have $100,000, for example, and you keep that in the bank, you're losing yeah. $15,000 a year right there. Just, just because it is a, 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 yeah. it's the power of purchasing, the purchasing power. Yeah. The purchasing power of your savings goes yep. down yeah. through inflation. But guess what? We've got a lot of mortgage people watching this right now. Guess what else goes down? The value of your stocks, bonds, or your savings is debased by inflation. But yeah. so is the value of your debt, mm -hmm. which is a great thing. Yeah. And that's why a good long-term 30-year fixed rate mortgage is a financial planning tool. It is an asset an incredible asset. I created a strategy and I trademarked it many years ago called inflation-induced debt destruction. And <laughs> awesome. we don't have time to go into it yeah. now. I yeah. know it's a mouthful, but the idea is that you are creating a huge amount of wealth for yourself as a real estate investor because you are borrowing the money at today's dollars and paying it back at tomorrow's dollars. And that is a yeah. giant benefit a giant wealth yeah. creator and so, that doesn't yeah. even consider appreciation <laughs> right right, right. because your 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 net worth is growing you know as long as you're i mean well yeah obviously it's only valuable on the day you sell it but you know your net worth is growing as well well it's also valuable on the day you refinance it yeah oh yeah because no, i have another strategy i call refi till you die yeah. Okay. Yeah. And the refi to you die strategy is the best way to extract the wealth from your portfolio because there's no tax on borrowed money. Yeah. It's a, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Uh, yeah. So, um, but look, you know, one of the things when we talk about this bubble, this crash, we've got to understand is that there is no such thing as a national housing market in the United States. Mm -hmm. In a country as large and diverse as the U.S., there is only a whole bunch of local markets. Yeah. In the country, there are nearly 400 MSAs or metropolitan areas. There are uh, 3,100 counties, 
there are over 9,000 cities. And if you count towns and villages, there are over 19,000 of those. Right. It's a huge country. There's no such thing as a national real estate market. All real estate is local. Yeah. And one way to think of this, Jen, is to kind of break it up into three types of markets. This is what we do. And uh, these three types are linear markets uh, mm -hmm. that are slow and steady and profitable. They're the kind I like to invest in. Right, in the middle of the country. Most, right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Or the Southeast too, yeah. but yes. Well, that's changing. <laughs> I, I agree with you. Yeah. Well, th Florida. that's actually one of my next points. <laughs> yeah. And then there are cyclical markets. Yeah, roller coaster. Yeah. These are the roller coasters, right? They're the right. West coast of the United States, the expensive Northeastern markets, or where I live, I live in Palm beach, Florida, and just South of me, you've got Miami, right? Yeah. Crazy cyclical markets. Okay. Um, around the world, the cyclical markets are Paris, London, Dubai, Hong Kong, right? Those types of markets, these trophy cities are cyclical markets yeah. and they do not make sense as an investment. The vast majority of the world is a linear market, but yes. there isn't in between as you just alluded to, Jen, and that is the hybrid markets. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the Southeast, because there's been so much interest from investors and retiring baby boomers have become hybrid. And there's an influx of people from California. I mean, you would not believe the amount of people from California that I know that are coming to Florida. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I escaped the Socialist Republic of California yep. 11 years ago, and it was one of the best decisions of my life. <laughs> right. And that's basically what I'm hearing. I go, so why are you moving? Why are you moving? And I can't deal with it. I can't deal with it. Yeah. No. And I, and I think this is, this is accurate. And I, um, so I know, I know, I'm pretty sure I know the answer to this question because I know what the answer is for me. Um, and you did, did allude to this is that you prefer to work in linear markets. Linear yeah. and hybrid. Now a lot of yeah. markets have become hybrid, but but yes, generally you're right. So here's an example. Like one of the markets where we've helped hundreds and hundreds of investors buy properties over the years, Memphis, Tennessee. Yeah. Okay. This is a renter market. It's the logistics capital of the country, Federal Express. You know, you all know the story of Memphis, yeah. right? I would not want to live in Memphis, but no. I've owned many properties there and many of our clients have. And it's very linear. If you look at appreciation over time, it just kind of yeah. chugs along, nothing too exciting, ups, downs, but they're not pronounced. Indianapolis, yeah. another big market for us over the years, um, helped hundreds and hundreds of investors buy properties here, very linear and boring. But compare that to where I grew up in Los Angeles, California. Yeah. Okay. And that's the way the chart looks. It's yeah, a you roller coaster. Chart. It looks like a crazy heartbeat. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, if you're not listening, you want to, or if you're not watching, you want to go in and do it. And what I love, I just want to share what I love is that you're using Fred for your yep. statistical data. And we've talked about this on this podcast. I don't know how many times we talk it with, I talk about this with my clients, uh, you know, and I love that, that Fred has an app now, so you can yep. get your data right off your phone instantly. Right. And I love that uh, because what you were showing in that chart as well was all of the recessions yeah. that were in there as well. And yeah. so I was looking at those recessions in the linear and Memphis had a little tick down in uh, the last recession, sure. which they didn't have in previous, but then they you know recovered right away. And so knowing that inflation is here and we're talking about recession as well, two consecutive quarters of negative GDP, what is your take on what's happening, um, whether we're going to experience a recession or not? Because one of the things that we know is that recessions are great for mortgage rates. They always go down. Yeah, right. 
Yeah. Well, I think the Fed is still on the rate hike kick. You would yes, know better are. than I would. One uh, more. Because you're, one you're closer more. to it than I am. Yeah. Yeah, one more. And, and maybe one more, and then we will see them relax a little bit. Yeah. Uh, Jerome Powell uh, seems to think he's the new Paul Volcker or something. I don't know. <laughs> you know, I, I'm highly critical of the Fed. They completely yeah. screwed this up. They let the yeah. economy run way too way hot too long. for way too long. They should have raised rates slower and sooner. Yes. and more gradually right and, yeah. and that would have been a much better plan but we have what we have so you know that's what we have yeah. um there's two more main points i think we should really discuss today one is inventory levels and then let's look at the hartman comparison index okay yeah yeah and inventory levels i know where you're heading this because this is to debunk the crash in the bubble. Go for it. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> it, it does in some extent. But you know, I do want to make a point though on that linear, cyclical, and hybrid we just discussed. Look, I think for sure the cyclical markets are going to suffer pretty greatly. Mm -hmm. Okay, because they have had meteoric rises, and the you know the the higher they rise, the harder they fall, as the yes. old saying goes. Yeah. So those markets do have some real pain ahead. The linear markets for you know basic rental housing uh inventory there is still a massive shortage and um a lot of demand okay yeah. and the demographics coming at the rental housing industry for the next 10 years are nothing short of phenomenal i mean they're yeah. just phenomenal yeah. so and we started is, out let me, uh, let me um just kind of interject here about this too just to make sure everybody understands is that you know as an investor and at least i'm going to say from my perspective as an investor i seek either income or appreciation and if i get both yay yeah right <laughs> <laughs> right and what you're talking about is especially in these linear areas is that yeah the values of their homes don't go up exponentially like they do in others but that is a good tell you know telltale if the housing market for rental is powerful otherwise yeah. you don't want to invest at all jen uh you you nailed it you know look investing is the strategy of creating legitimate value over time. It's not speculation. Uh, appreciation is not investing, okay? Yeah. Uh, capital gains is not investing. That's luck. And when it happens, great, I'll take it. I can spend the money just as well as the next person. But <laughs> yeah. yield is investing. Okay, yeah. you invest for yield, Absolutely. right? And that's what the, a good portfolio produces is annual yield. So we started out the year with about 293,000 homes, very low inventory. And then as we went into the year, inventory actually continued to decline. At the end of the first quarter, we were at about 41,000 homes for mm -hmm. sale. Now, one of the things I... Uh, uh, talk about a lot on my show is what my listeners have dubbed the Jason Hartman question. Clearly, I did not invent the question. <laughs> but the question is, I think it's life's most important question. And the question is, compared to what? Yeah. Right. So compared to historic inventory levels, extremely low. Most experts will say, and by the way, I do want to make a point here that's important. It depends which survey you're looking at. The data I'm sharing is from Altos. If you look at the NAR numbers, they calculate inventory differently because they include pending sales and contingent sales. I do not think that's the right way to do it. I think you should only calculate what's available today that someone can buy today. Right. So, uh, so, but you can use either one as long as you're consistent. Mm -hmm. If you use NAR, look at NAR five years ago compared to today, fine. That's fine. Okay. So um, in terms of this inventory, 
to be at a normal market, we should have somewhere between 1 million and 1.5 million homes for sale. Now, invent so, so what we've had is this story, right? Walk into a supermarket and 66 to 80% of the shelves are bare. They have nothing on them. That's how inventory has been, but it is growing. Uh, these yeah. higher interest rates have definitely cooled the market. And mm -hmm. here's where we are now. We've got about 544,000 homes for sale, uh, still only about half or even one third, depending on who your expert is that you're asking of normal. So inventory is still extremely low. It's extremely low. And in order for you to have a housing crash, you have to have high inventory and in, or inventory that is increasing very, very quickly. We do not have that. You also have to have a distressed homeowner. And Jen, you know better than I do, being in the mortgage uh, industry so closely, um, that the underwriting criteria since the Great Recession has been insanely burdensome. Right. The loans that have been made are not like the loans that were made in the early 2000s. Right. We have some of the highest credit score borrowers now. We have carefully underwritten loans for the most part. I know there's some exceptions, um, but we just don't have distressed homeowners, right. at least and not yet. Even during the pandemic, we didn't have um, a, you know, a substantial increase at all in delinquencies, which is, which is really good. And I know a lot of investors are saying, oh, the foreclosures are coming. If they're coming, it's going to be because of jobs at some point. And, um, you know, now we also know that we have an increase in repossessions. I'll, I wouldn't even say repossessions because I don't know if we're there yet, but in delinquencies, 17% increase in delinquencies in car loans. But that's indicative of all car owners who include renters who were not be, were not or cannot still buy. Right. You know, yeah. so we're seeing in some segments, you know, so if we just take that, like, I love that you're saying that, you know, compared to what I used to, I used to say, so what, and next and next and next. But when you compare, you know, if you just said, oh, all, you know, all the car delinquencies are up. So that means the whole world is crashing. Right. Ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah, it is. You know, um, this time around the uh, economic problems uh, and the recession that I would argue we're sort of in, this is a very weird one this time. They always have a different flavor, right? Um, but, um, you know, it, it's not going to come from real estate this time. It did last time. A lot of it came from real yeah. estate, as we know. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, uh, so many people out there are com complaining that interest rates are too high, but <laughs> they're not asking the right question. They yeah. need to ask the question compared to what? what? Okay. And there are very few times in history very few times that interest rates since the 1940s at least have been lower than the official rate of inflation yeah and we have that now and yeah. we've had it for quite a while mm -hmm. so the government is telling us inflation is 9.1 percent i don't have to go with my 15 to 17 percent estimate yeah mortgage rates give or take six percent even lower for owner occupied that means you have a negative interest rate where you're literally being paid to borrow the money <laughs> yeah. of 3.1%. Right. I know. Now imagine, Jen, if you don't even pay the mortgage yourself, you outsource that obligation to somebody called a tenant. Yeah. It, it's incredible. That's why income property 
is the most historically proven asset class in the entire I, world. I love this yeah. explanation. I really do. I love this exp explanation. I was, um, I shared a, I have a uh, rate sheet from, from uh, when I was a loan officer for April 1st, 1985. <laughs> I was so yeah. excited. First of all, it cost me $500 to have made because we didn't have computers. Right. <laughs> right. And we did rates were changing every day. I mean, they were still yeah. changing, but it wasn't, you know, we really didn't have our mortgage-backed security right. market like we have now. And, you know, we, um, and it was funny because it was the first time that we had a rate that was under 10%. Yeah. And I was so excited because when I got in the business, rates were at 18 and a half. Sure. Uh, rates were under 10%, but the rate that was under 10% was nine and seven eighths on a one-year arm with three points. Yeah. And but to be fair, houses were a lot less expensive too. Of course so, they were, but yeah. it's all relative to right. income now too. Sure. Yeah. Right. So it's all relative. And that and that's one thing that we have to understand is that, you know, it's still relative, you know, when you say compared to what, we also yeah. had lower income than we of have course. now. Yeah. And um, so I think that that's important for people to understand, you know, is that six uh, percent, five, five and a half is great. And the expectation is that rates are going to drop by the end of the year um, a little bit, not a whole bunch, but a little bit at the end yeah. of the year. So we have one more adjustment by the feds and then we'll have a drop, you know, in interest rates and we'll start seeing things calm back down a, a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully they will tame inflation by that time. And, yeah. And yeah. we can move on. So so the yeah. inflation induced debt destruction strategy, a hugely <clears throat> Hugely powerful for people, but let's talk about the index before we wrap up real quick, because yeah. you did ask about it and I've kept everybody waiting for quite a while. <laughs> yeah. When you want to understand how valuable anything is in the world, you've got to compare it to a lot of things. You have to use a lot of measuring sticks rather than just one. Yeah. Everybody's using just one, the US dollar, and that is that leading to huge blind spots where people just can make giant mistakes by only using one thing to compare uh, real estate values to. So compared to what is the question, we use the index to determine uh, this. And here is the first item in the index, it's gold, right? Yeah. I'm not a gold bug, you probably aren't either, but gold has is, been considered money. Yeah. <laughs> it, gold's been considered money for thousands of years yeah. and it is a good measuring stick. Now, yeah. we went off the gold standard in 1971. So I'm not going to go back to 1970 because gold prices were basically controlled before then. Right. But once we let gold float a little bit into the second quarter of 1972, gold was $65 an ounce. Mm -hmm. The median house price was about $27,000. So in 1972, 50 years ago, if you wanted to buy the median price house in gold, You'd it would take 412 ounces of gold. Mm -hmm. Today, the median house price is almost $400,000. It depends if you're counting new homes. I, I, right. It's complicated. Right. depends on what survey. I'm using one that says it's about 360000 okay? Mm -hmm. And um, the price of gold, 1944, at the time I grabbed this, that means it's only 184 ounces of gold to buy the median price house. So the question is, priced in gold, is a house cheap or expensive? It's cheap. It's cheaper. But that's just gold. gold. What about oil? How yeah. about if we take oil, arguably one of the most important commodities in the entire world mm -hmm. is oil. Uh, and in 1970, oil was $4 a barrel. The median house price was $23,000. If you wanted to buy the median price house, in oil, it would take 
6,400 barrels, not gallons, barrels of oil, right? Today, it only takes about 3,300 barrels of oil to buy the median price house. So priced in oil, is it cheap or expensive? It's cheap. But during that time, in the last 52 years, it has gone up and down. So it's not the cheapest it's ever been now. Right. It was cheaper 12 years ago in 2010. Yeah. It only took about 1,900 barrels of oil to buy a house. In 1980, only about 1,700 barrels. So priced in oil, it's very cheap historically. It's not the cheapest it's ever been, though. It's been cheaper, right. okay? What if we look at rice? Rice is the food commodity of two-thirds of the human race. Yeah. It is an incredibly important base food that keeps people alive. Well, priced in rice in 1970, it would take 43,000 hundredweight units of rice to buy a house. Today, it only takes about 22,000 of those. So priced in rice, housing is also cheap. Yeah. Right. And I can go on and on to the over 40 items in the index mm -hmm. and show you that housing is much cheaper than most people think. Yeah. Okay. But we know it's not about the price of the house. It's about the payment on the house. Yes. So what about yeah. the payment? Okay. Yeah. Well, there's some stuff in here about the inventory shortage. Well, actually, this one's good for, and you like the Fred website. I so love this that. is, this is the mortgage uh, burden on yeah. the typical household gen, okay, for uh, dating back to about 2015, right? Mortgage right. debt service payments as a percentage of disposable income. And you can see they were at their lowest point at the first quarter of 2021. Why? Low interest rates, low housing prices, yep. lockdowns, yep. okay? Today, it's a little more expensive. Mm -hmm. But when you undo this entire chart and look back, it's still very, very cheap compared to the last seven years. Yeah. But what if we go back even further than that? Let's go back to 1984, okay? Yeah. <laughs> In 1984, it's almost the cheapest it's ever been. Yeah in yeah. terms of the mortgage payment every month. And in the index, I calculate it out like this. I look at the yep. median mortgage payment back in 1970, 1980, 1990, et cetera, and I compare it to today. If you adjust it for consumer price inflation, according to the faulty CPI we talked about, the mortgage payment today is about double what it was in 1970, adjusted for official inflation rates right in dollars yeah. yeah yeah but you're probably a fan and i had this guy on my show the founder of shadowstats.com because what that website does is it calculates inflation the way the government used to calculate it when they didn't manipulate it mm. and guess what the mortgage payment is calculated the old way this is not some person's way it's the government's way before they started manipulating around 1980. And the mortgage payment on the median price house today is only $76 a month compared to 1972's $127. Yeah, so is it that's, why, that's what I was saying before compared to you know my interest rate of 18% versus, right. yeah, yeah. Yeah, and you got in around 1980, okay? I so got in 83. 83. Okay. Yeah. So that's when they started really manipulating because we had that high inflation of the late 70s, right? Oh, yeah. The SNL bailout. Yeah. yeah. 
Yep, Matt yep. Well, that came a little later. That was Charles Keating and all of that. Lincoln. Well, it was already was... fermenting because it yep. was a result of Jimmy Carter and high, yeah. high inflation, and you know uh, Reagan came in and and yep. raised everything. Absolutely, Reagan <laughs> yeah. was a godsend for the economy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and Paul Volcker. You know, very expensive and very difficult at the time, but it was needed. It was needed. You're absolutely yeah. right. Yeah. So, you know, you can see how this is compared and you can see where nothing changed here because there was no manipulation. CPI yeah. Yeah. and shadow stats are the same, but then it starts to diverge mm -hmm. by 1990, mm -hmm. 2000. It diverges a lot. And there you go. So yeah. it's really just not that expensive like people think it is. One more adjustment I'll give you, actually, just one more thing I'll, I'll share on this, Jen, because I think it's really important. The house is not the same house. Houses have gotten bigger. We're yeah. comparing apples to oranges. The typical house in 1970 was 1,500 square feet. Today, uh -huh. it's almost 2,400 yeah. square feet. So you're getting a good deal. It's increased in size by 157%. Yeah. So when you adjust for square footage, right. inflation, and interest rates, real estate is quite a bit cheaper than most people think. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's amazing that we have to try to convince people, you know, that uh, they should buy right now, you know, especially when we have loan officers and real estate agents saying, you know, well, rates are coming down and we have clients saying, well, then I'll just wait. Sounds like yeah. the bank, right? I'll just wait. And they're missing out on so many opportunities, you know, for pride of home ownership, for tax benefits, for appreciation, you know, maybe income if they're doing it as an investor. Uh, they're missing out on all of those opportunities right now. And as you say, refi till you die, then go ahead and refinance if you think you're going to have more equity later on or, you know, and, and that would be a pleasant surprise, you know, if someone had more equity six months from now instead of not buying. And we call that waiting to buy, you no. know, the cost of waiting. And we should be sharing that comparison with as many people as we possibly can. You're absolutely right. We illustrated earlier the cost of waiting is inflation attacking your savings, right? Yeah. If you put it to work, then inflation starts working for you rather than against you. So that's very, very important what you pointed yeah. out. And look, what I always say is don't believe anything I've told you today. Right. Just go look out the window open your door, walk outside, and note that the market, in good, sensible markets that aren't those cyclical markets, it is booming. People are buying inventory left and right. There's a massive shortage. There's not enough houses. Every, but every good deal yeah. is being snapped up like crazy, okay? And that's the way it has been over the years. I mean, if houses are so expensive, People thought that always. They always thought that. They thought that in 2010. Then why are they They thought it in 2000. So <laughs> they thought it in 1990. Yet yeah. people were still buying them all along. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yes, there were little periods of adjustment, but overall, housing is cheap. Yeah. Yeah. Housing is a great, is a great way. Well, I love it. Thank you so much. I love everything that you're talking about, Jason. It's so in line with what I speak about all the time, what my clients hear, what I, I know other experts are saying as well. And if we could just stop listening to the news and stop listening to, honestly, people that are listening here, and if you're a manager, I'm, I'm sorry about this, but if you're listening to your manager and your manager saying, you know, it's bad, it's bad, and you need to get back out there and kick butt and, you know, try to figure out how to be competitive, it's it's really about demonstrating this. And this is where your expertise will start to improve. This is where you will be looked at as that market influencer and your credibility will be there and you will always have a great 
practice, regardless of whether you're a realtor or a lender, you will always have a great practice. And for those investors that are listening, I hope you learned a lot from this. So tell us a little bit, Jason, about how we can get in touch with you. What is the best way to get in touch with you? And I know that you've got um, a community, right? We talked about your community earlier, um, the community of Empowered Investor Pro. Tell us a little bit about that if people want to get engaged with you. Yeah, you know, that's a great way to engage. That's our uh, our paid membership. It's at empoweredinvestor.com where people can meet with me a couple of times a month on Zoom. And, you know, we we bring in all sorts of experts. We have a community, a social networking platform, kind of like Facebook, but not Facebook. Right. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and where people can get questions answered. And, uh, you know, our team is in there helping people. We have ongoing Zoom meetings, discounts to our live conferences. Uh, and then, um, uh, but you know, they can just go to the main website, jasonhartman.com, follow me on YouTube, podcast, uh, whatever, just look up Jason Hartman and you'll find me. I love it. I love it. I cannot wait to uh, participate and be part of this. I'm in another buyer's club as well called Flipping America. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, but we're not flipping homes. No, we're not. We're not flipping them. It's it's just called flipping America because yeah. we we do okay. something a little different. We buy we buy the property and that with cash and then we uh, we uh, flip it into a land contract. Oh yeah, yeah. No, okay, we, we, we'll we just call it. A lot of investors do that too. Flipping. Yeah. We'll, we'll call it that kind of flipping, and that's the kind of flipping yeah. that I've been doing lately. You know, my buy and holds have been lately is not wanting to be the the, the landlord, right? I have landlord right. situations, but then I have others that that I'm flipping them that way. So, you and know, are I'm you excited. mostly doing that in Michigan? I know Michigan's very land. Oh my gosh, Michigan is yeah. huge for that, and I have family yeah. in Michigan <laughs> who are investors. It's amazing, mm -hmm. but I've actually been doing that in Tennessee, and I've been doing that in Indiana um, oh. or Illinois, sorry, Illinois, yeah. because the property that I, I bought recently was in Thayer, Illinois. I bought it for, it was a two one for $9,400. And um, we, ha we have um, our nurse, she's a nurse. We have her on an eight year note at, um, I think it's 8%. I can't remember that one. Might be at eight, might be at 10%, something like that, an eight-year note at 10%. We're making like $584 a month in cash flow. You know, I break even 18 months on the whole buy. Yep. I've done a bunch of those. The ROI is like 30 some percent. Yeah, it's pretty killer. It's great. And I love it because, you know, she doesn't call me about the problems. She owns it. <laughs> Not me. Yep. Yep. <laughs> good deal. Good deal. Yeah, I love it. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure. It's so good to see you. I hope to see you on the next Marketers Cruise, though. I think it's in uh, January is when it is. Um, I went to the one in November, um, or no, 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 it was earlier this year. I can't remember what it was. Maybe it was November. It was in November last year. And then they said, you know, Hey, we're going to start, you know, we're going to go a whole year, but, but anyway, yeah, it's the end of January and it looks to be really good. So good I stuff. hope to see, I hope to yeah. see you there, but I thank you so much for all of this beautiful, wonderful wisdom. Is there anything you would like to leave uh, our listeners with? You know, point? just uh, the old saying, don't wait to buy real estate, buy real estate, and then wait and uh, happy investing to everybody. Uh, you can dive into a lot more detail on all this stuff on my YouTube channel or podcast. So thank you and happy investing. Yeah, thank you so much. And everyone, again, thank you so much for listening. Be sure to subscribe to our 
podcast if you've not subscribed and be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel. And don't forget to click on the links below for our upcoming events so that you can get more involved and learn even more about what you're doing in your practice as well as investing and all of the other businesses that are peripheral to what we do as professional mortgage loan officers. Talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to Mortgage Lending Mastery. Be sure to subscribe to hear more sales tips, ideas, strategies, and tactics to help you with your personal and professional growth to multiply your results in record time. And if you like what we're doing, don't forget to give us a rating and review so we can continue to bring you the best content possible. Wanting more beyond the podcast? Join our Mortgage Lending Mastery membership community where you will find extended interviews with our favorite guests, weekly training, tips, and insider secrets. Fireside Chats with Jen, free content, meet, share, and collaborate with other members, and so much more. Click the link in the show notes to learn more about this exclusive content. Mortgage Lending Mastery is an industry syndicate charter podcast. Industry Syndicate is the first podcast network specifically for the mortgage and real estate industries. Get the Industry Syndicate app in the App Store or Google Play today.